Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. We've talked about what's coming up. Now I want to get to this message. I told you at the beginning, it's going to be practical. It's going to be helpful for finding out God's will. And I do believe that's the case. I want to challenge you today, maybe jot down a couple notes. Now you're already on the screen. If that screen's a phone, it might be hard to look at it and take notes as well. So grab a piece of paper. If you're watching on a computer and you can pull up a notes app, do that. But I do think a few notes today would be helpful for you as we uh, commit to being these type of people who know the will of God for our lives. Let me ask you this. Do you ever ask a question with no real intention to receive an answer? Now, as I ask that question, I'm asking a question with no real intention to receive an answer because I'm talking to a lens. But on the other side, I want you to ponder it. Do you ever ask questions and you really don't have, have thought that there's going to be an answer? Or, or maybe this. Do you ever ask questions and give no real time for a person to possibly conceivably answer those questions. Do you have that friend, or maybe you're that friend, who in a conversation rattles off three, four, five questions in a row, and and you find yourself saying, well, which one do you want me to answer first? It's like, how are you doing it? And what was that all about? And oh my goodness, what's next? And and what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? And you're like, whoa, 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 which one? How am I doing? Or, or, Or what's next? Like, which question do you want answered first? If you're a parent, you know the types of questions that you receive from your kids, and sometimes no answer is required, and sometimes, oddly, it's the same question over and over again with seemingly the same kind of answer. Questions. We ask a lot of questions. I was doing some research today, and I found this article that I thought might be a little bit of fun to look at together. It chronicles as, and, and highlights the most common asked questions in the year 2021 on Google. Now, there's lists of questions based on the way the question is asked, like a what question, a where question, a how question, a why question, or even a question like can this or can that. Let me highlight a few for you. One of the single most common questions, in fact, the number one question asked of Google is what to watch. Interesting. Around tax time, the most common question asked of Google is when will I receive my return based on the taxation laws of a specific country? Another what question is what song is this? Another top 10 question is what font is this? I was interested to find that a top 10 what question is what are the five love languages? Now let's look at, look at some why questions. One of the top why questions, why are you always in a mood? Uh, this one, I cannot believe this is the fifth most asked why question on Google. Why were cornflakes invented? How is it that 450,000 people every month are wondering that question? But as I read it, now I'm wondering, why were cornflakes invented? Questions like this. I don't know if this is getting too explicit, but the 10th most common why question is, why is my poop green? Look at this one. Who questions? Uh, who let the dogs out is the fourth most commonly asked who question. Who's the richest person in the world? Who escaped from Alcatraz? And who owns Google? Look at this one. When question. Uh, when Harry met Sally, it's up there. Uh, 
when you love someone. When Marnie was there, which is apparently some sort of anime, and when love blooms. It seems like all of them are related to books, questions, etc. Check out these where questions. Where am I right now? That's a good question and a little bit of a philosophical, sociological stumper. Where am I right now? Hey, Vivid Church, where are we right now? I love this. The where the wild things are. One of the most commonly asked where questions right directly followed by where are my kidneys located? Sir, ma'am, hopefully somewhere in your body. Check out these, these how questions. How many ounces in a cup? That's a good one. I, I bet you you've asked that before. How to take a screenshot on a Mac? I bet you if you have a Mac, you've wondered that or ha- asked that before. Look at this one. Just someone trying to be friendly. How you doing? Imagine that. 823,000 people every month ask Google, how you doing, Google? Nice of them to check up on, on Google that way. Uh, look at these does questions. Does FedEx deliver on Sunday? The number one asked does question. Does Rice have gluten? Does he like me? Friends, there's one way to find out. Google is probably not that way. And somebody was also asking, in fact, thousands upon thousands of people asking, does Naruto die? Maybe you know, but don't share in the chat. That'd be a spoiler alert, okay? Look at these is questions. Number one asked is question. Is Europe a country Now, the number two question should be, is our school system doing its job if that many people are asking, is Europe a country? Uh, Another question is Reddit down. Is shingles contagious? Is Pluto really a planet? And when it comes to the can questions, this one got me good, okay? First asked can question is, can you feel the love tonight? Followed directly by, can dogs eat bananas? Can dogs eat strawberries? Can dogs eat apples? Can dogs eat watermelons? Can dogs eat grapes? Can dogs eat tomatoes? And can I go to heaven if I have tattoos? These are just some of the many questions that people are asking, sitting down at their computer, asking for the AI to generate answers for them on those big questions. These poor vegetarian dog owners who are trying to figure out what to feed They're dogs, questions upon questions upon questions. And the interesting thing is, as I read through these, in some of those instances, I go, oh, I've wondered that. Maybe as you read through a list of questions like that, you're like, oh, I've wondered that too. And it got me thinking, what's the most common question that we're asking God? Now, now maybe the most common question for you is, why? Or or you, you put it this way, like, why me? Or why them? And you're trying to figure out why the world is what it is. Maybe the most common question we ask of God is, where are you, God? Like, where are you now that things are hurting? Maybe it's a how-based question, like, how are you actually going to make all things work together for good in this situation? Or when, when will this circumstance or this situation change? I don't know what the most common asked question would be, but I'd venture to say that for most of us, in one way, shape, or form, it revolves around knowing or understanding what God's will is. Now, you logged on today and you joined church at home, probably at least in part, because you want to know God more. You'd like to grow in your relationship with God. 
Maybe you say moments like this help me think the types of thoughts that lead me to the types of results I want to see in my life because I want to be a person who's pleasing to God. Maybe you've read in Ephesians where it says, find out what pleases God and it's got you intrigued. You're trying to do that very thing, but person by person, no matter what age, no matter what stage of life they're in, no matter where they live or where they've come from, we're asking this type of question, God, what do you want from me? What is your will for my life. And many of us have concluded that the will of God is unknowable, that the will of God is kind of beyond our understanding, and the best thing we can possibly do is just sort of live a life of trial and error, and hopefully we'll stumble across God's will somewhere. Others of us have gotten frozen in fear, thinking, I don't want to make a misstep, and so I'll do nothing until God clarifies everything And many of us have assumed that the will of God must be precisely identical for every person as if God is is in some sort of a factory extruding disciples from the end of a conveyor belt and, and, and getting his will into our lives. But the truth of the matter is this, that God actually wants us to know what his will is. He wants us to experience his will. All month we've been looking at this theme of altars, a place of of worship, a place of remembering and sacrifice, and ultimately a place of revelation. Because it promises in, in Romans chapter 12, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, let's offer our whole lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to Test what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Part of the reason we sacrifice, part of the reason we lay our lives down is so that we can test and approve what God's will for our life is. God wants you to know his will. Let me take that even one step further. In Colossians 1.9, it says God wants to fill us with a knowledge of his will. He wants us to be completely filled and satisfied with a knowledge of of what his will is. Amazing. God's not looking for us to to guess. God's not looking for us to pick up on his his subtleties or pick up on his cues. God actually wants us to be filled from the inside out with a knowledge and understanding of his will is. Let me take it one step further. In Philippians 2 and 13, it says this, it is God who's at work in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Not only does God want us to be filled with the knowledge of his will, he also is at work internally to help us to share that desire for his will and then to give us the energy to see that will fulfilled. And in this passage, he uses the the term pleasure, which is the Greek word eudokia, which means something that makes him happy. God has a plan for your life and my life that actually makes him happy. And when we're filled with his will, we get a little bit of a clearer revelation of what that will is. And in doing so, we actually get to draw nearer to God. He gives us the energy to do so. I don't know about you, I'm grateful that God doesn't ask me to do something that's impossible for me to do. Instead, he puts a will and desire in me and then the energy to see that through in order to live in accordance with his will. And then I'm going to add one one more verse to this to help kind of round out this context. In Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, it says this, Now may the God of peace, 
who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. May the God of peace equip you with every good thing for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May he give us every good thing for doing his will. I hope when we ask God what his will for our life is, we're not asking a rhetorical question. I hope we're not asking with no expectation to hear because he wants us to know what it is. I hope when we're asking God what his will for our life is that we actually pause long enough to hear his response instead of rattling off 10 or 20 other mental conceptions without pausing to consider that the God of the universe wants me to know and to understand. I hope when we're asking God his will, we're, we're not expecting that it's, it's just some generic uh, overarching thought for every person. It has nothing to do with my life personally. And I hope we know and understand that when we're asking God his will, we're not seeking out the, the best case advice from artificial intelligence. We're actually speaking to our creator. He wants us to understand him more. Now, in the context of altars, I, I was struck by this. In the Old Testament, and I've been mentioning this every week. There's just these series of people who built an altar. And it seems that in each of their cases, they're the type of people who are called by God. People like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People like Saul or David who were kings. People like Elijah who was a prophet. People like Samuel who was a priest. People like Gideon who was a judge. Or Moses who was a leader. All of these different incredibly significant characters in scripture. But there's one amongst them that sort of stands out to me. And I go, wow, one of these things is kind of not like the other. And it's the story of a man named Balaam. Now, Balaam, it would seem, as chronicled in the book of Numbers, was a man who didn't necessarily know God in a personal way, but he did understand how God functioned. Balaam was known as uh, somewhat of a sorcerer or a diviner, Certainly someone who was able to have, have insight into what was happening in the world around him. And, and there is a, a man named Balak who's the king of Moab. Balak, Balak is intimidated by the people of Israel who are clearly God's people. It's like blessings just all over their life. He's intimidated by them as they make their way through the wilderness. And he goes, man, I just want to do what I can to mitigate the risk of these people being in my region. I know what I'll do. I'll go hire Balaam, that diviner, the kind of a sorcerer, a, a magician, if you will. I'm going to get him to put a curse on them so that if we ever come to a place where there's conflict, the curse that Balaam puts on them will, will put me in a better position strategically to be able to defeat them. That's the interesting kind of understanding he had. So he comes to Balaam. He goes, I'm going to give you so much money if you come and do this thing for me. Come speak uh, on my behalf and put a curse on these people. And you just kind of have a great track record. It seems like you get how things are going. So if you could, that'd be great. Balaam says this. No, I, I don't just do tricks like this. I, I'm not just like an illusionist. I actually feel like I'm talking to the, the, the real God, like the one and only and so I only do what he says to do. So even though he didn't understand God in like a covenantal way, he didn't have a relationship the way you and I have the opportunity to have, as it says here in the book of Hebrews, 
He did understand that God works in mysterious ways and there's power in our words and he's always speaking. So he goes, I don't think I'm gonna, gonna come. And, and Balak sort of insists. He's like, look, look, man, I will make it worth your while. Balaam feels a certain sense of freedom. Okay, if, if, if I come, you just need to know I'm only gonna do what I feel like God's telling me to do. Balak's like, of course, of course, plus some gold and silver. I'm sure that God will agree with what I was already thinking. I'm sure God's will is already the thing that I was thinking for it to be. And so Balaam comes along with Balak and Balak goes, look, I'm gonna take you to this great mountainside where you can look over the people. And when you see them, you're gonna feel the same type of thing I feel. And you're gonna wanna put a curse on them. I'm just convinced of that. And so in Numbers chapter 23, we see them come to this vantage point, this lookout. They're looking out over God's people. And Balaam says this, uh, verse one, build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. Balak did just as Balaam said. And then the two of them offered a bull and a ram on each one of the altars. Then Balaam said to Balak, just stay here beside the offering while I go aside. Perhaps the Lord will come and meet with me. Whatever he reveals to me, I'll tell to you. Then he went off to the barren heights and God met with him. Now, when God met with him, if you were to read the story, you would find that instead of a message of cursing, God gave him a message of blessing. So he comes back to Balak. He goes, Balak, great news. Balak's like, yes, it worked. He goes, yeah, it really worked. Amazing. So you heard from God. Oh, I heard from God. Amazing. Tell me what his plan is. Like, speak that nasty curse out over these people. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. God actually spoke blessing. And so he then stands over, he's like, I just want you to know, people, you're blessed in the name of God. Balak is furious. He's like, Balaam, you don't understand. It's really simple equation. I'm the one who's paying for this. Do the thing I want you to do. Balaam says, bro, that's just not how it works. I follow the will of God. And Balak says, okay, let me take you to another place then. Let's do this thing again. Maybe you just had the wrong point of view or the wrong perspective. They go to a second place and we see in verse 14, he says he built seven more altars. He offered seven more bowls and seven more rams on each. Again, he said, stay here beside the offering. I'll go meet with God. The Lord again met with Balaam and he put a word in his mouth. He returned to Balaam again. And guess what? God's opinions didn't change. And so Balaam speaks a second blessing over his people. Amazing. Balaam is, is infuriated. He goes, I, I, like I brought you here. I'm paying you good money. I'm expecting you to see things the way I see them. Let's try one more spot. So they go to a third place. And you guessed it, verse 29, he built seven more altars there. They prepared seven more bulls and seven more rams. Balak did as Balaam had said again, and he offered them. And Balaam saw that it was pleasing to the Lord to bless Israel. So he didn't even resort to any more divination as he did the other times. He just turned his face toward the wilderness and began to speak blessing. As you go down to verse 11 of Numbers chapter 24, it says, it says this, Balaam, or Balak is, is so mad. The king, he goes, now it's God who's kept you from being rewarded. And Balaam answered him, didn't I tell you? I'm just a messenger. Even if you gave me all the silver and gold in your palace, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. I must say, only what the Lord says. In this incredible story, we see a few things about the will of God, about the, the nature of his will. First of all, we see uh, that, uh, that God's will is not capricious. It doesn't easily change 
God isn't just in a mood. Oh, I'm kind of in a blessing mood today. Who should I bless? Or, or transversely, oh man, I'm a real frustrated mood. Who should I smite? It's just not the way God is. We read it in Hebrews last week. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because he's the same, his will remains the same. We also see that God's will can't be manipulated. It can't be bought. As much as Balak wanted to manipulate the will of God by giving Balaam a different point of view or, or by taking him to a different line of sight perspective, God's will is God's will. Thirdly, we see in this that Balaam reminds us we can't do anything beyond the command of the Lord. God is really, truly in control. God is on the move and, and his will in our lives is like opening up a door for us, giving us the opportunity to walk on through it. Even though Balaam didn't seem to know God very personally, he did know how to approach God. And that method of approach is carried through all the way into the New Testament to come to an altar and to make a sacrifice. Now I've been saying this every week and I'll keep on saying it. Because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, we don't come to the altar and approach God with bulls or rams. We don't gather uncut stones and literally place them on the ground and go, God, I'm expecting to meet you here. But we do continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving him praise. And in doing so, in professing Jesus Christ as Lord, we are sharing in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, his perfect life, for our sinful life, his ability to save his grace, covering over all of our sins and, and shortcomings, and we actually get to connect with and worship God, and we truly can expect to receive an insight into his will for our lives. Friend, you need to know this. God's will over your life is not capricious. He hasn't changed his opinion because he's in a mood. It's not manipulated by you or anyone else. Just because you have someone who hates on you, it doesn't change the way God feels about you. Just because you're frustrated with yourself, it doesn't change the way God feels about you. It is his purpose and his intention to bless you. The Bible promises that is the case. And I'm going to take the Bible's word for it rather than my own fleeting emotional opinions or the, the fickle opinions of others. God wants to get blessing into our lives. And I feel like he's speaking way more than I'm listening. Like for real, God's answering questions way more than I'm giving him credit for because I'm so busied, I'm so distracted, I'm so quickly jumping from one thing to the next. I'm asking more questions than I'm actually pausing to consider. But remember, God wants me to be filled with his will. He wants me to know what pleases him. He's actually equipping me to do everything I need to live in his will and he's willing and acting in my life according to that goodwill. Now let me, if I could, give you just a little cheat code, okay? We're going to end today in this way. Just a little cheat code for you. There are a few times in scripture where the Bible explicitly says this is God's will. Like for sure, drawing your own relationship with him is this daily discipline that'll take the rest of our lives. For sure. And for sure, living like lives of, of, of continual sacrifice is a daily dying to self. Because it was Jesus who said, if you want to follow me, take up a cross daily, follow me, like die to yourself. 
Stop living the way you want to live. Live my way and you will actually live in purpose and blessing and freedom and joy. But then there's these few awesome times where it's like, in case you missed it, this is God's will. Can I show you one of those today? A little bit of a, a cheat code to help us get started on this journey. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. The commentary in James Moffat said this of these verses. To comment adequately on these diamond drops would be to outline a history of the entire Christian experience. Like what we see in these few, few words in this scripture outline for us really a lifestyle of worship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. I've got it underlined in my Bible. You might not yet, but you will before we're done today. Ready? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. This is the whole verse. Rejoice always. If we were in the room together, I'd say, can you repeat that after me? Ready? Rejoice always. Here we go. Amazing. I know someone typed it right now. Rejoice always. That's a whole verse. If you struggle to memorize things, you can memorize that. Rejoice always. Verse 17. If you want to follow it up with a verse that's just as easy to memorize, check this out. This is an entire verse of scripture. Pray continually. If you can remember those two words, pray continually, you just memorized a verse of scripture. If you tag it together with rejoice always, you got back-to-back -back verses going. We got some momentum in our lives. Look at this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstance for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will. You may feel in some ways like Balaam. You go like, I hardly really know God that much. Like I kind of, I know a few things. Here's exactly how God wants to be approached. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will. And when we live that type of life, we'll actually open a door for us to test and approve what his will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Because of what Jesus did, you and I have freedom. Meaning that we would have the freedom to groan in the presence of the Lord. But instead he, instead he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Rejoice always. I want to challenge you today. No matter what you find yourself feeling right now, return to joy. That's what rejoice means, to return to joy. Come back to joy. It, it happens when we remember. When we stop and remember what the Lord has done, we return to joy. You might feel like you've gotten off that track and you're going your own way down a pathway of, of frustration, anxiety, self-indulgence, self-centeredness. But I'm going to challenge you today. Return to joy. Come back to the remembrance of joy. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Man, it will be hard to bow our heads, fold our hands, and quote words of prayer continually. But those are merely the customs of prayer. What this scripture is, is commending us to do is actually to engage in the essence of prayer, which is communication with God. God's not looking for you and I to continually be on our knees, literally, you know, crying out to heaven. But he is saying, include me in your life continually. Let's just have an ongoing conversation. It's like that friend that you're just texting with throughout the whole day. 
Little thoughts, little ideas. Most of your texts end in dot, dot, dot because the conversation's still going. God's like, let's have that type of communication. Just pray continually. And then be thankful in all circumstances. Charles Spurgeon said this, when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. Let me say it one more time. When joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. Be grateful or thankful in all circumstances. Why or how can we be grateful in all circumstances? Well, I'm the most grateful for the fact that my future is not dictated by my circumstances. My emotions aren't even dictated by my circumstances. Certainly my value is not connected to my circumstances. What God thinks of me is not linked to my circumstances. It's all linked to his grace. And so I can choose to be thankful, to show gratitude, even when my circumstances look bleak and soaking you. This is God's will for our life. So there we go. Little cheat code for the week. Let's rejoice this week. Let's pray this week. Let's be grateful this week. And when it comes to the will of God, so often we think, now that we know it's God's will, we must do it. But I think the tone of voice that God is trying to get across to us is because it's his will, we can do it. You can live in the will of God by rejoicing always. You can live in the will of God by praying continually. And you can live in the will of God when you and I, day by day, interaction by interaction, learn to be grateful in all circumstances. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for the revelation that we see in your word. Thank you at this altar we can receive from you your will today. I pray that today we would have clarity and insight into what your will for our life is. Sure, we'd love to know exactly where we're going to be living, how we should best invest, who we should be married to, how we should spend our time and our energy, but it begins with these simple steps of obedience, rejoicing and praying and being grateful. So we return to joy today. We include you in our conversation today. And we get our eyes set on the right things today, remembering, sacrificing, worshiping with an expectation to see more clearly a revelation, an answer to the questions that we have. And if you're watching today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, can I pray for you? Today you can receive his sacrifice, the full benefit, the full effect of his sacrificed life for you and I is that we can live in intimate, close, vibrant relationship with Jesus. It's the greatest and it's eternal. And his love and grace cover over a multitude of sins. It begins in praying a prayer of faith like this. Jesus, today I give you my life. I repent of my sin. And I receive your forgiveness. If you prayed that prayer today, I'd love to encourage you. Please send an email to info@vivid.church. Let us encourage you in your next steps. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. Next week, we will be gathering together right here. If you're in Toronto or Vancouver, we're gathering in person. We are sprinting towards Christmas time now. Love you so much. Grateful for this time we got to share together. Now let's go live in the will of God. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.